I'm John DiLiberto, and you're hearing the Echoes podcast from PRX. Today, it's Kraftwerk's Man Machine Music. Fifty years ago, Kraftwerk released their first album in November of 1970. They sounded nothing like the Kraftwerk that has come to renown and influenced music from electronic to new wave to techno to disco and hip-hop. It was music that went against all the trends of rock music at the time. We could never understand why everybody wanted to stick to their guitars or the drums or because they're so boring. And, and now it's happening. That's Ralph Hooter, a founding member of Kraftwerk, in fact, the only surviving original member. We're going to hear from him, as well as Orbital, Jean-Michel Jarre, Michael Roter, Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, and more. Before we get to that, I want you to know that we're in the midst of a dire fundraiser. 2020 has kicked us in the butt as much as any business. We are a non-profit organization, but 2020 has been a year of negative profit due to the pandemic. We've moved our offices to work completely remotely. My sound booth is now a closet. But that hasn't stopped us from bringing you five days of amazing music and interviews every week, as well as the Echoes podcast. But we can't do that on nothing, and right now we're facing a $20,000 shortfall. So go to echoes.org and make a donation today. Give whatever you can, but if you've got it, please give it. Go to echoes.org. And now here's a pretty good reason to give. Do you know any other stations or podcasts commemorating Kraftwerk's 50th anniversary? Plug yourself in to Kraftwerk's Man Machine Music, The Echoes Documentary. This is Kraftwerk's Man Machine Music. Kraftwerk looked and sounded like the future. It was new instruments, it was new music, and it was guys who were the antithesis of Anglo-American rock and roll. You know, there were no lead guitars, there were no flares, and there was there were suits and ties, but it, it just looked more modern. We could never understand why everybody wanted to stick to their guitars or their drums or, because they're so boring. And, and now it's happening. Fifty years ago, Kraftwerk launched their first self-titled album. That one didn't change the world, but it programmed the operating system for a sound that would alter music forever. No one has taken the idea of musical cybernetics further than the German electronic band Kraftwerk. Other synthesis try to humanize their machines, or at least give lip service to the idea, but Kraftwerk's Rolf Hooter talks about a merger at the man-machine interface. There's no way of going back now. For us, we are completely interfaced, so to speak, with our music machines. That's what the man-machine stands for, Kraftwerk.
Kraftwerk rarely give interviews, but I spoke to Rolf Hooter in 1981 backstage at the Emerald City in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. They were in the midst of a tour behind their latest album, Computer World. I'm the operator with my pocket calculator. Before synthesizers and computers, the members of Kraftwerk used to play actual instruments. Ralph Hooter played organ and Florian Schneider played flute on violin and guitar. Their first release was in a group called Organization, with the album Tone Float. It came out in 1969 and was 52 minutes of freeform improvisation. There was a little hint of the Kraftwerk sound with organization, but it was coming. Schneider and Hooter broke off from organization in 1970 and released their debut, just called Kraftwerk. There are still no synthesizers, but their instruments are starting to sound more like them. They had their own studio, which they called Klingklang, or ringing sound in English. It wasn't full of the sleek synthesizers and computers they would later employ. Instead, it was an assemblage of electronic odds and ends. When we got together our Klingklang studio in 1970, we started with tape recorders and oscillators and um, feedback and echo chambers, all kinds of tapes, and all kinds of things. Basically very simplistic things. Out of this electric melange, they recorded their 1970 self-titled debut. From the beginning, their music reflected the industrial environment of Dusseldorf, West Germany, where they lived. On their first two records as Kraftwerk, you can hear the factories clanking, belching, and shrieking away in their music. Ralph Hooter was in and out of the group early on. Taking his place one time was guitarist Michael Roter and drummer Klaus Dinger. They would go on to form the band Noi. Michael Roter. We spent six months together touring and recording. We tried to record the second Kraftwerk album in 71 with Connie Plank, a sound engineer, co-producer. But we failed at that. Um, Klaus had a primitive style of drumming, that's right. And the, the music we played together as Kraftwerk was also very primitive, very raw, basically only meant to be exciting. It was, that was all about getting crazy. 
That was something that we could not transfer into the studio, the recording studio. This lineup didn't record, but there are several live videos on YouTube from television appearances. Even then, you could hear Florian Schneider trying to get the effect of electronic rhythms, which didn't even exist yet, with his flute. We had Klaus Dinger beating the life out of the drums, um, Florian Schneider with his, um, his um, violin, which he strummed, and the electronic flute, which was exciting. He had um, some electronic gear that um, shifted the sound one octave down. And so he, he played super fascinating rhythms and they were so wild. Rothwerk from 1971. The legendary producer and engineer, Connie Plonk, who died in 1987, would go on to engineer that second album, as well as the next two Kraftwerk recordings, including Autobahn. Kraftwerk. They started uh, very much influenced by Velvet Underground and also by German composers. They started a rhythmic, very rhythmic, simple way to play. It was very interesting. And they had um, so sort of definite pictures. And this was also uh, came uh, close to my idea how I understand music. To draw is a picture what you, what you instantly are able to pick up. Very quick, complete picture, like a, a street sign. So stop, or one-way street. So this is an instant short picture what you can pick up very quick and very easily. And they had some, uh, in the beginning, some nice ideas in this direction, mixed with a, a heavy rhythm. Kraftwerk has largely abandoned their first three albums, they have never been issued on CD, and they're not available digitally. In 1981, Rolf Hooter wasn't looking back at those recordings. I don't look back, I look forward to our next record. I don't care about our old records, I only care about our next records. Forward for Kraftwerk began with Autobahn. Part of its sound came from the band's fascination with machine noise. I have a lot of recordings of different machines. Find them, I make them myself, pick them up. Like on Autobahn we picked up, it's my old Volkswagen, which we recorded. 
The sound of a Volkswagen ignition is what opens their 23-minute excursion Autobahn. French electronic artist Jean-Michel Jarre remembers the first time he heard Autobahn. I remember that the first track I heard from Kraftwerk was being Autobahn. At that moment, I, I was in, in France working. I was working. We, we all started more or less at the same time. And I heard that and I said, I thought it was a Californian band singing in English, doing a kind of a Beach Boy electronic version. I thought it was so cool. And then I, I discovered a few weeks later that they were German. Synthesizers were present in all their switched-on glory. They played Minimoog, an Arp Odyssey, an EMS Synthi AKS, and a Profisa organ, as well as electronic drums and other instruments that they created themselves. Karl Baktos and Wolfgang Fleur made the band a quartet with both playing electronic percussion. On the title track to Autobahn, Kraftwerk began using the electronic sequencer rhythms that would be a signature in their sound. It's a technique that was deployed by many German groups, including Tangerine Dream, Klaus Schulze, and Ashra Temple. Ashra Temple guitarist, Manuel Götching. It was probably to find a special rhythm uh because all other types of music had a special rhythm that you, uh, just from your feeling, uh, that you mm, combine with a certain kind of music. There's a blues rhythm, there's a rock rhythm, uh, there's a swing rhythm. Every, every age has a certain tempo, yeah? And uh, that belonged together with this finding an, an own music here. There was a very strong demand to find a typical German music, and therefore it's, it's very necessary, very basic to find first to find a certain kind of tempo. Andy McCluskey of the British synthy pop band Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. Kraftwerk was all about cyclical uh, rhythms and beats and sequences, and 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 which you know, led into the trance music and things like that. I mean, but Kraftwerk were doing it first and we kind of bought into that whole kind of um, sort of rhythmical re repetition. Autobahn was a top five hit in England and America in 1974. But it was three albums released in 1977, 78, and 81 that cemented Kraftwerk's status and took them out of the legions of space music and krautrock artists from which they came. 
they emerged as something like international pop stars. They now established an image of cold, calculating technoids moving on stage like robots and often letting the synthesizers run on automatic while surrogate models of the band stood motionless above them. According to Hooter, the impetus for their music isn't physical, but cerebral. The only interface that Kraftwerk needs are the glistening knobs, buttons, and computer readouts of their machines. Well, when we turn the knobs and the switches, and when we touch the numeric keyboards, the numbers, it's just the same interface. I mean, it's just that these computer instruments, they're much more sensitive than the others, they're, they're not so physical, but it takes more thinking to actually play them. And then you get physical maybe by just switching a couple of knobs. But that's just the result of a thinking process. There are no physical gyrations or facial grimaces when Kraftwerk play. Basically, we stand around and turning knobs and switches. And I think the physical side of the music is what comes out of the loudspeakers. Then the energy level, that's more stimulated by the actual, it's more like a sensitive finger ballet that we play on the instruments. In Vienna we sit in a late night cafe, straight connection, T-E-E, Trans Europe Express, Trans Europe Express. One of the other signature sounds of Kraftwerk was the vocoder. It had been around as a musical device since 1948, but it was groups like Kraftwerk that made it popular in the 1970s. It processed the voice with filters and other techniques. Kraftwerk used it for robot voice effects. Their songs were like slogans, extolling then-modern technology like computers and pocket calculators. There's a reason Brian Eno said their music was nostalgic for the future. It's this sound and attitude that spawned a generation of English electronic pop artists like Gary Newman, John Fox, and Alta Vox, orchestral maneuvers in the dark, New Order, and Depeche Mode. Kraftworks, the grandfathers, we call them the grandfathers. Then like there was the next generation who were the fathers and we're the sons. <laughs> <laughs> That's David Gahn and Andy Fletcher of Depeche Mode, another group 
heavily influenced by Kraftwerk was orchestral maneuvers in the dark. We heard Kraftwerk in 1975 when Autobahn was a hit, when I was just 16 and Paul was still 15. And um, that was when we went, oh my gosh, there's something alternative, it's melodic. But what appealed to us in Kraftwerk was that it was it was different. We, we were already not wanting to repeat what we saw as mid-70s rock and roll cliches. So we'd found electronic music before punk even happened. That's orchestral maneuvers in the dark with their song Electricity in 1979. Another influence Crawford had was on hip-hop. For a group who are as stiff as uh, robots on stage, avoiding any overt displays of emotion, Crawford has been surprisingly successful at moving bodies across dance floors. We do a lot of dancing. We, sometimes it's a weekend we go dancing, discotheques in Europe. Dusseldorf is not far from Holland or France. Sometimes we travel and then we go to discotheques in Dusseldorf or Paris. Then we dance and we like uh, mechanistic music with repetitive beat patterns. In fact, the day I interviewed Ralph Hooter in 1981, he'd been out the night before to see the Jacksons with Michael Jackson. They were also very good. The feeling from the R&B and nascent hip-hop community became mutual. Rothwerk's The Man Machine album crossed over into the disco charts and changed the shape of R&B for the next several years. Then Africa Bombada and Soul Sonic Force took Rothwerk's Trans Europe Express and turned it into a hip-hop song, Planet Rock. I loaded a new version of Crawford's Autobahn into the computer, Race Notes tagged the genre as rap. Art historian and electronic artist James Merle Thomas from the duo Quindar sees the relation between electronic music and dance R&B as both being body music. There are all sorts of discussions and contestations over something like Kraftwerk and the way that they were received and taken up by something like American hip-hop and the way that those kind of sounds come in. But I, I think that there's a much, much deeper history to the question of something like sound and physical embodiment, right? We think about, you know, the way that samples and loops and electronic music form the basis for what happens in clubs, right? And the way that bodies move in unison or, or you know, and we that opens on to all sorts of conversations about, you know, disco culture and rave and all of this kind of thing. Carl Hyde of the British electronic band Underworld. As a kid, I grew up with funk. I was I was like the, the only white kid in town that liked black music. <laughs> and, 
and I grew up listening to funk and because I was a little kid I couldn't I couldn't play lead guitar but I could play rhythm so I got into those repetitive beats that were being played by the funk bands and when German electronic music started to be played on the radio in the UK it just sounded like funk music to me and and Kraftwerk was one, was one of those people that did that repetitive looping thing and, and of course years later when Acid House happened in the UK that to me sounded like Tangerine Dream meets Kraftwerk meets James Brown and, and it just felt like home. Crawford is also cited as a spark that ignited house music, which began in Detroit with artists like Juan Atkins, Kevin Saunderson, and Derek May. In Europe, techno and its many offshoots like trance, drum and bass, and jungle emerged as a meeting of house music and Crawford. Orbital was a band that came out of that scene. Phil and Paul Hartnell. My first Kraftwerk album, it's kind of how I age, age us all, is, um, was Computer World. That was the one that I went out and bought for myself. Um, you know, so that was, you know, whenever that came out, that was, that was me starting to really get into, you know, electronic music. Was Computer World the one where we sat down and lay down on the floor? No, that was the man machine. All oh, right, okay. <laughs> we laid down on the Sorry. floor for the man machine. Well, we put the speakers down on the floor, and we had, like, we were like head to head, so that we could both uh, listen to like the speakers in each ear, and um, and listen to the album like that. It sometimes seemed like Kraftwerk were glorifying technology and industry. Songs like Pocket Calculator, Computer World, and The Model appeared to glorify dehumanization. No, not in this way. It's more a realistic type of um, interrelation, or like you said, interface between us and the machines. Because we don't put the machines on a higher level or a big level, or ourselves onto. It's neither glorification of ourselves nor of the machines. I think it's more about a friendship, to get in tune or a friendship relation with your environment. Rather than feel dissociated from your environment, then you have this negative attitudes all the time. left Crawford in 2008 and died from cancer in early 2020. Crawford haven't recorded any new music since their 10th album in 2003, Tour de France. Instead, they've turned Crawford into even more of an art piece, touring with stage presentations that are both minimalist and extravagant, including their 3D catalog tours where they play much of their repertoire from Autobahn onward. They remain committed to an electronic future. 
the electronic instrumentation is just much more sensitive to, you have a much wider range of expression than with uh, so-called traditional instruments, they are quite outdated today. You, everything has been said on, on those type of instruments, so if you want to make music of today, you better use the instruments of today, I think, otherwise it's a museum. Paul Humphreys and Andy McCluskey of Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. The influence that Kraftwerk have had on popular music is, I think, is greater than the Beatles or anyone. You know, it's permeated. Your listeners are going to like that statement. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the, the, the ideas behind Kraftwerk have permeated every aspect of popular music, I think. 40 years ago, they predicted the future that is now. And in terms of the way that music is created and Uh, edited uh, and performed both live and in the studio they were the blueprints and that we all followed Kraftwerk's influence has been profound and long-lasting. Nearly every contemporary electronic artist will cite them as an influence, and they have moved across genres. In 2012, New York's The Museum of Modern Art held a Kraftwerk exhibit that included the band playing their entire catalog from Autobahn to Tour de France. One album a night for eight nights. They've spawned a whole generation of musicians who use the Kraftwerk vocabulary to make music. Fifty years from their first album, Kraftwerk is still the music of the future. Kraftwerk's Man Machine Music, The Echoes documentary, was produced, written, and edited by me, John DiLiberto, with assistance from Jeff Town, the producer of Echoes. Partial funding comes from the Pennsylvania Council on the Arts. Additional funding comes from our PRX affiliate stations. That was definitely a journey, Kraftwerk, one of 30 icons of Echoes. Next week on the Echoes podcast, I'm going to ruminate on those 30 icons, which we posted this week at echoes.org. Go through that list, and I think you'll find 30 pretty good reasons why you should be supporting Echoes now and making a donation at echoes.org. I'm John DiLiberto. This has been the Echoes podcast from PRX. See you next week, tonight on the radio somewhere in the country, or at Echoes Online right now or whenever you want. <laughs>